Welcome to Marx's Voice, bringing you ideas and analysis from Socialist Appeal, the Marxist voice of labour and youth. For regular updates, subscribe to our podcast through SoundCloud, iTunes or any major podcast provider. Or visit our website at www.socialist.net where you can donate and subscribe to our paper online and help support us in the struggle for socialism. Over the past few years, uh, you will be aware we've seen the growth of a new or of several new phenomena on the left. Uh, we saw the, uh, the phenomena of Syriza, of Podemos, of Sanders and of Corbyn. No, sorry, I will pause for translation in the future. Uh, then we also have the social democratic parties uh, and several of them have entered into a, a partial or a, into a deep crisis. And to understand uh, this phenomenon, I think it's worth uh, to go into uh, and consider what reformism really is and to understand also what role it plays in society. Because all the mistakes, prevarications and betrayals, beyond those, there is an underlying problem. Um, what is reformism? Well, we can start with the most obvious. Uh, the reformists, they oppose a fundamental break with capitalism. Instead, they believe that in one way or another, that they can solve the problems of the working class by introducing a series of reforms. Um, now, Marxists are not opposed to reforms, but we don't think that reforms can solve uh, anything. In fact, Marxism explains why reforms are insufficient. They will not achieve the necessary transfer of power from the capitalist class to the working class. The economy will remain in the hands of the capitalists uh, and they will do anything in their power to sabotage these reforms, particularly if those reforms go beyond what is uh, affordable by capitalism, if you will. And the world market and the capitalist economy does not allow itself to be subdued by laws and regulations. And therefore the beautiful programs of the reformists, which promise a lot of nice things, many things we would uh, agree with, but it cannot be carried out uh, on the capitalism. Now, Rosa Luxemburg pointed out uh, pointed this out 120 years ago uh, in her deba- debates with Bernstein. Now, this has been known to history as reform or revolution, but in reality, uh, it's not a question of reform or revolution, but reformism or revolution. And one of the um, uh, points that she makes about uh, Bernstein. Uh, and also all his supporters in the German social democracy, is that they have a disdain for theory. Um, uh, And the the question is maybe why? Um, And here is a quote from uh, the actual text. What appears to characterize this practice above all? A certain hostility to theory, in inverted commas. This is quite natural for our theory, that is the principles of scientific socialism, impose clearly limited, clearly marked limitations to practical activity. Impose clearly marked limitations to practical activity. Uh, And it's quite natural for people who run after immediate practical results. It's quite natural for people who run after immediate practical results to want to free themselves from such limitations and to render their practice independent of our theory. Basically, Marxism imposes limits uh, on what you can do. Uh, And uh, these limits uh, are an obstacle to the reformists in their practical activities. Whatever deals they want to make behind the scenes, uh, attacks on the working class that they wish to support, 
In the case of Germany at the time, they wanted to vote for the liberal uh, budgets. And so the Marxist theory was imposing, was not allowing them to do these things that they wanted to do. And so they were mo moved away from the theory um, because they, well, they didn't understand it in the first place, but they uh, intuitively understood that this theory was, uh, uh, give, uh, was an obstacle to them doing what they wanted to do. Um, uh, but what, what is this theory? Uh, Marxists have drawn certain conclusions based on the experience of the struggles of the working class. And this is now, we now have um, two centuries of experience to draw upon. And that's not even mentioning the experience of the bourgeois revolutions that came before that. But the conclusions that you draw from an understanding of these events are directly contrary to what the reformists want to carry out in practice. And one of the crucial questions is the nature of the state. Now, uh, Trotsky explained, I'm going to try to break up this quote again. Uh, the question of the nature of the state before and after the conquest of power is one of the decisive criterions which separates Marxism from all other tendencies in the labor movement. From the Paris Commune, Marx and Engels drew the conclusion that the working class cannot seize the ready-made state machinery and use it for their own purposes. Basically, they cannot take over the bourgeois state and, and use it to uh, create socialism. And, you, and, this, and this was shown in the Paris Commune, where this, when the working class came into power, they uh, put up their own state. And Ten minutes, shown, Nicholas. It uh, has been shown uh, many times since. But it hasn't stopped the reformists from attempting to use the bourgeois states time and time again with completely disastrous results. Um, sometimes, uh, particularly in the case of a revolution, which precisely poses the question of power. Um, now, this theory or this understanding, this experience, is uh, an obstacle to making this very same mistake once again. And therefore, also, the reformists will, uh, uh, will not want to draw this conclusion. And they do not want to hear anything about uh, uh, the history of uh, these struggles. Um, so instead, they must um, uh, base themselves on uh, bourgeois or petty bourgeois ideas um, in the sphere of uh, economy, philosophy and history. And when we insist that, that these ideas are alien to the labor workers' movement, it is not because they don't exist in the labor movement, but because they are fundamentally bourgeois ideas. And just like their bourgeois, uh, just like uh, all bourgeois science and um, philosophy, uh, the reformists are played by empiricism. Uh, that is, uh, as uh, I don't know where the, where the phrase comes from, but it's been used a few times. Uh, slavish worship of the established fact. Um, uh, worship, slavish, like a slave, worship of the established fact um that is basically they 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 just see the, see what is in front of them and cannot see uh beyond uh, just the realities as it exists at this very moment in time today they are completely to understand incapable of understanding the ups and the downs in the class struggle and will therefore have a tendency towards euphoria when the class struggle is on the up and depression when the class struggles are going down because rather than understanding the larger historical process, they can only see what's happened in the last few months. And the, uh, and the class struggle is a drawn-out process. It's not really resolved over a question of months. Um, 
they are actually capable. Some the left reformists are capable uh, of defending uh, the Soviet Union, for example, uh, the, uh, or uh, uh, the Cuban Revolution. But only once it has already been established. But only once it is already a fact. They they despise the revolution. But uh, once uh, the revolution has uh, uh, already been achieved, then they can accept it. You can actually see that in some of the Mensheviks who were quite happy to, uh, oppo- who obviously opposed the revolution in 1917, but after the revolution had been victorious, were quite happy to uh, align themselves with the state bureaucracy and the Stalinist machinery. And what many of them became uh, prominent in the Stalinist uh, Communist Party uh, in the decades after the revolution. Because, because besides, just like the Stalinist bureaucracy, there was a continuity between being against the revolution uh, before, uh, in 1917, and being against the revolution in the 1930s. They are defending, basically, the status quo. Uh, and they much prefer to be, uh, to, uh, also the, uh, a deformed worker state uh, to a healthy worker state, precisely because the Stalinist bureaucracy is their soulmate, and they share the same fun- uh, many of the same traits. Um, now... Um, in general, their whole outlook on, uh, to pol- on politics is to base themselves on shortcuts. Uh, basically, they want to set themselves tasks that can be achieved quickly within capitalism, or at least tasks that, can, uh, that appear to be possible to achieve within capitalism. And socialism is a question that can be left to the future. So they would uh, stay away from any questions that somehow uh, threaten uh, the capitalist rule as a whole. Uh, stay away from uh, questions or demands that threaten the capitalist system as a whole um, and try to find various types of reforms that the capitalists can in one way or another accept. Um, but uh, there are no shortcuts and they don't want to hear uh, about this. Um, they, they are in fact trying to promote the very idea that you do not have to change society. They insist that you can actually get all the things that you want without touching the capitalist system. Uh, and this is like a very bad builder um, who will, uh, when you ask him how much it will cost to repair a crack in your wall, he says it'll be very cheap. All you need is a bucket of paint and I'll just paint over the crack. But in, but in the Marxist, on the other hand, they are like the more serious builder who will investigate the source of that crack and we'll probably find that you need to make, uh, you might need to dig new foundations to the house. And so 20 minutes, your, Nicholas. Your bill for these, uh, for digging the new foundations will be much more expensive. And so the reformists, they are like the charlatan builder who, who will try to sell you a bucket of paint when you need to dig new foundations. And for the working class who are under, under, constantly under pressure by daily life under capitalism, this might seem like uh, the easy way out. Most workers will try the easy route before they will try the hard route. Um, and this is what uh, the, the reformists basically base themselves on. They base themselves on the backward layers of the working class, which haven't yet understood the need to change society. And rather than trying to advance them, trying to uh, raise their level of consciousness, they try to sell them easy solutions. They try to sell them easy solutions. Uh, and in the end, uh, the workers will have to pay the price um, if, the, uh, if the leadership isn't rectified uh, in time. Now, Marxists have a different approach. Uh, we, say, we say what is. We act, when something cannot be done under capitalism, we say that it can't be done under capitalism. 
if they if the reformists say we can solve the um, uh, the problems of the crisis by printing money, we we say clearly this cannot be done. And in fact, this approach was already there in the Communist Manifesto, where in the last paragraph, uh, Marx and Engels they write. The communists disdain to conceal their views and aims. The communists disdain to conceal their views and aims. Basically, they they will not conceal their views and aims. They openly declare that their ends can be attained only by the forcible overthrow of all existing social conditions. And this is precisely what the reformists do not want to say. But rather, they would like to say to give fairy tales, which is this about the possibilities of reforms under capitalism. And this is, uh, has always been true, but it's particularly true now. Now, from, uh, from that step of saying that the socialist revolution is impossible or unnecessary, is un- impossible or unnecessary, there is an inevitable next logical step. Uh, and that is to say that the rev- socialist revolution is not just impossible, but also undesirable. Desirable, uh, wanted, or um, and um, uh, and you find the reformists always finding faults with revolutions, and in their limited understanding, the violence, the upheaval, disruption is a completely. Um, it's only for the uh, negative. The violence and upheaval uh, uh, and destruction is just a massive uh, negative thing that or disaster that occurs. In a revolution, a revolution brings about with it violence, upheaval and destruction, uh, economic uh, difficulties. And the reformists see this and they say, well, look, there are all these revolutions are bad because they disrupt the capitalist economy. And so they see um, they go from a position of not understanding it. They don't understand the cause of revolution. Then when it arrives, they are completely opposed to it. And so um, and. Even this is even the case when they are sometimes brought into power on the back of a revolution, and they are intensely uncomfortable about sitting at the head of the revolu- of a revolution, um, because of all the pressure that they are under from the working class. Whilst at the same time they are busy trying to make a deal with the capitalist class, because that's the the another inevitable conclusion that if you do not if you do not accept the taking of power of the working class then you inevitably wound up having to accept the power of the capitalist class. And this they do. And from that conclusion, the next conclusion is that they must make some kind of arrangement or deal with the capitalist class. Because how can they be uh, at, uh, in government in a society where the capitalist class is in power, but the reformists are at the head of the government? So inevitably, they will try to seek uh, some kind of accommodation with the capitalists. Um, and so um, I mean, this even goes to the point where they establish uh, what they become like, um, and this, yeah, they become basically bourgeois fighter. They become like, uh, become close to the bourgeois also socially and materially. And the bourgeois will um, uh, open the door for them, at least temporarily, uh, to try to corrupt them. And uh, Trotsky uh, makes his observation in uh, Where is Britain Going? When um, the... Um, uh, the leaders, when the Labour Party leaders started to uh, socialize with the ruling class, and there was an uproar in elements of the Labour movement when this was discovered. 30 minutes. And then Trotsky says, if they stand on the position of an implacable class struggle, 
there will be no place for any kind of friendly relations. He used another word there, but uh, I simplified it. Uh, Labour leaders will not yearn to be in the bourgeois circles, nor will the bourgeoisie let them in. But the leaders of the Labour Party def defend the idea of the collaboration of classes and the rapprochement of their leaders, or the coexistence of their leaders. So, um, inevitably, the, the, the leaders of the, reform, the reformist leaders will have a tendency towards fusing with uh, the capitalist class. And they will even go so far as to attempt to create the most optimum conditions, the most optimum conditions for the exploitation of the working class. Uh, because a system in uh, a capitalist system in crisis will not give any money for reforms, and so the uh, and also the money for investments will never be in some way has to come from the unpaid labor of the working class. It has to come from profits. So defending the capitalist system also means defending the profits of the capitalists. And so you see, the uh, particularly the right reformists are very keen to ensure that the, uh, the profitability of the capitalist companies. Um, and so strikes and wage demands, if they are what, unreasonable, will be an obstacle to those kind of, uh, to those profits. So um, also the reformists have a tendency towards, uh, they like to find, think that the state can solve the problems of the capitalist system. That's why Keynesianism is their favored uh, flavor. Um, and They, like, they don't like to remember Keynes the person, but they quite like to remember the bit about him spending a lot of money because the whole point of Keynesianism was precisely to um, uh, prevent socialism, to stop a revolution and the workers taking power. And if you read Keynes' writings, you find precisely that he says that. Um, and, and this is what... Uh, and Yannis Varoufakis, he uh, gave voice to this desire when he said that the role of Syriza is to save the capitalists from themselves, or words to that effect. The bourgeois uh, politicians are bad managers of capitalism, but the reformists, and even better, the left reformists, they are good managers of capitalism. They understand how to make the balance between the workers' demands and the capitalist demands, and so how to um, uh, basically make society good for capitalists and workers. And it's not an accident that this was also combined with the view that there, there is no possibility of a revolution today. Because that's what, um, um, what uh, he was arguing. He said, there is no party today that can take power. There is no party uh, ready to take power today, political party. And so uh, we're going to have to live with capitalism for a while. And so we must make the best conditions for capitalism so that this political party has the best conditions to develop. And so from his pessimistic outlook on the prospect of revolution and also him denying his own role in that process, that is, he denies that he plays a leading role in that process in Greece of leading uh, towards revolution. From that, he draws the conclusion that it must be his role to save capitalism. And he's not the first one to draw that conclusion. And it's, it's very similar to what Bernstein was arguing uh, about in the, at the end of the uh, 19th century. Um, and all of these uh, leaders, they deny, regardless of whatever pretty phrases they use, the fundamental contradiction between capital and labor and the labor theory of value. That is, the struggle over the surplus value is not, uh, they deny. Um, um, now, 
uh, as, I, as I mentioned, over the past few years, we've seen a, a swing uh, to the left uh, in a number of parties uh, across Europe in particular. 40 minutes. And it's brought to power a number of leaders that probably never had imagined themselves being uh, leaders of a major mass political party. Um, and uh, this is, again, not the first time this has happened in history. The same thing happened in the early days of the Labour Party. In the 1920s, when the uh, leaders of the independent Labour Party were put at uh, the head of the Labour Party. And this, Trotsky explains, was, a swing, was the result of a swing to the left in the uh, British working class. This is the same period also when the Labour Party adopted this famous Clause 4 of the Constitution, which committed the party to the socialist transformation of society, if uh, in, in some slightly confused wording. Um, and Trotsky had this to say about uh, this phenomenon. The deep swing to the left of the British working class that brought McDonald's power, party to power unexpectedly rapidly facilitated the latter's manifest swing to the right. Such is the link between yesterday and today. So the confused ideas of McDonald in the, uh, during the First World War when he was a pacifist, he were generally on the left to the left of the Labour Party in that period. But when faced with the uh, uh, becoming the leader of, a polit- of the Labour Party, these confused ideas that he had beforehand were suddenly met, or the leaders in, of the ILP in general had, were suddenly met with having to face the real, uh, real politics, if you will. And so uh, uh, half-finished formulations, uh, ideas, uh, eclectic ideas, picking and choosing from here and there, suddenly when faced uh, with the test of becoming the leader of a mass political party, all, uh, all, this, um, all this confusion uh, forced uh, the leaders to, to the right because they were completely ill-equipped at dealing with the real problems faced with the working class. They were incapable of facing uh, to the problems faced uh, or the, the tasks uh, faced uh, at that particular time. And so from being on the left, they very quickly became to the right reformists. Um, because there was no, um, there was no opportunity to, uh, for those kind of confusion when you're actually faced with the real situation uh, at the head of a mass party. And I think there's a very strong link there between what happened with uh, Corbyn over the last period. Now, Corbyn came to power on a, uh, as a very left-wing Labour politician. Um, because he he was actually, I mean, if you look at the way that he voted uh, and the resolutions he put forward in Parliament and so on, there's very little to object to. Um, but uh, the ideas, he was not a Marxist and he was not a revolutionary. He flirted with those ideas, maybe. But from his old outlook, you can tell when he spoke that he was not a Marxist. We have a separate session, this school, about pacifism. And uh, Corbyn was a pacifist. He did not understand the nature of war and the nature of the state. He did not prefer to face up to the realities of class society as a result. And so when he came, I mean, he's known also for being a very nice and friendly guy, um, which is uh, very ironic given how the media then portrayed him. But he kept trying to appease the right wing of the party. And this is not news either. In fact, this has happened time and time again, that the left reformists, they always chase after the right reformists. And the right reformists are chasing after the liberals and the conservatives, the bourgeois parties. 
And so you have uh, this, uh, you can have this uh, constant stream of politics towards the right, which we see in several countries at the moment. That is on the surface of things, uh, in the statements of the leaders of the political parties and so on. But the Corbyn tried to constantly appease the right wing. He did not understand that the right wing fundamentally represents the interests of the ruling class inside Labour Party. 50 minutes. And the ruling class had no interest whatsoever in allowing uh, Corbyn to become prime minister. And as a result, the right wing of the party was completely adamantly opposed to to Corbyn becoming a prime minister. And that uh, Corbyn was completely incapable, incapable of dealing with. He was not prepared to fight, at least not uh, to, uh, to fight to the end with the right wing of the party. It has to be said that he, he had a lot of pressure on it and he withstood that pressure more than many other leaders. But during his uh, f- uh, what was it, four years as leader of the Labour Party, he failed to deal a decisive blow against the right wing. It's very different to what you see the right wing is doing right now in the Labour Party, where they feel very confident because they got the backing of the ruling class and they know it. The whole political establishment, the media, the church even. Uh, and so they are very confident in trying to strike a blow against the left now. Whilst uh, it's not so much Corbyn, maybe he's a bit out of it, but a number of the left now are still trying to find an agreement with the right wing. So they are still trying to find an agreement with Keir Starmer at the same time as he, to everyone, it, it's not even a secret that he's trying to get push the whole of the left wing out of the party. And I would say that that was the main f- failure of Corbyn. But you can also see the same kind of uh, political problems um, that um, arise uh, when it comes to how to deal with the capitalist class and the capitalist economy. And there were the Labour Manifesto uh, was very good in a lot of ways. It raised a demand for a lot of reforms, but they um, they were um, uh, and and actually they even raised the question of nationalisation. And uh, I think, if I'm not mistaken, also workers' control, if in a very weak way. But this was combined with constant overtures to the capitalist class. John McDonnell is um, very theoretically eclectic. At one point, he went on TV and called the capitalist class wealth creators, which is complete. Well, I mean, <laughs> these are this, particularly in Britain, where the capitalist class is the most parasitic of any kind. Well maybe bar a few smaller nations, but it's one of the most parasitic capitalist class in the world. And John McDonald goes on TV and calls them wealth creators. When even uh, the most basic reading of Marxism, Marx, you understand that it's not the capitalists that are the wealth creators, but it's the workers who are the wealth creators. But still, John McDonald likes to call himself, and at least some of the time, a Marxist. And these kind of contradictions obviously uh, serve to confuse uh, rather than clarify uh, the situation. And again, I think in the case of John McDonnell, here's someone who is very friendly to the left. He sometimes says very radical things, but he also says the very opposite at another occasion. So he would, one moment it's the capitalists are wealth creators, next moment it's the workers that are the wealth creators. And so you have this um, weird, uh, and so he, he does, the only way to explain this, um, and other than that he is generally maybe, I, I don't actually think he is as confused as his statements are, but it's a deliberate tactic of his, of trying to appease everyone, so appease the capitalists by saying nice things about them, then uh, make some radical speeches to the workers, so they will be 
feel happy. But in all this, he doesn't recognize that he himself is a leader and that he, what he says has an impact. So when he, uh, when he basically called on a number of occasions, he called for Labour Party branches not to uh, remove their right-wing Labour MPs because he was trying to make some deal with the right-wing. And he doesn't recognize the disastrous consequences that that has, how it completely disarms the movement. Um, um, so I think um, these are some of the main... Uh, the, these, this example of Corbyn highlights some of the main problems of the left reformists. It highlights the problems of the left reformists. They also make a number of unprincipled concessions, unprincipled concessions. Um, like, for example, uh, on the question of European Union, and that wound up being, at, this, at the time, it must have seemed like a small thing. 60 that, minutes. That they were, the Labour Party was to support uh, staying in the European Union. It was done in the first month of Corbyn's leadership. But that little mistake at that time, or what seemed like a little mistake, or a little compromise with the right wing of the party in order to not have in the first month a big battle over this question. Well, we see what happened. <laughs> the, uh, the electorate did not vote the way that, uh, that uh, Corbyn had imagined they would. I think uh, everyone in the, thought that the British people would vote to stay in the European Union. And if that had been the case, then probably this small compromise wouldn't have had such disastrous consequences. But <laughs> this is a lack of foresight. This is lack, but they do not, cannot see into, do not understand the process that's taking place and therefore cannot see into the future. And um, uh, they could not see that the European Union referendum might very well turn out differently to what everyone expected. Ironically, Corbyn, for many, uh, for his most of his political life, had been advocating for a leave. But when he actually got that outcome, which he had been advocating for, he was completely unprepared for it. And so this little um, concession turned out to be a big disaster. Uh, in the end, it gave them. Uh, it became the Achilles heel uh, the, of the whole of the uh, Corbyn movement. Because all the a whole section of the left of the Labour Party moved from uh, into a pro-EU position, partly or to a large extent because of what decision the Corbyn took, and this enabled the right wing then in the latest after the referendum to seize upon this in order to launch a numerous of campaigns uh, on the basis of pro-EU uh, on the number of pro-EU campaigns, even to the point where the main pro uh, referendum camp, uh, pro second referendum campaign in Britain was off the Corbyn left. So the the main campaign for the second referendum in Britain a year ago or two years ago was uh, which was funded by uh, the capitalists, but they were paying the wages of uh, Corbynistas. And this was a deliberate wedge in order to drive, to split the Corbyn movement, um, which was organized by the right wing, people like uh, Tony Blair and Alistair Campbell and so on. Um, and the, the other uh, phenomena that we've seen on the left have, similar, have uh, encountered similar obstacles. Uh, if you take uh, Sanders, for example, Bernie Sanders, uh, again, he was trying to tame the Democratic Party. He was trying to turn the Democratic Party into a workers' party. Well, that's a generous interpretation anyway, but constantly had uh, made uh, overtures to the Democratic Party establishment. He played played by the rules, as they say, 
which was completely uh, uh, distorted against him. Uh, and if the rules were insufficient uh, to stop him, then the Democratic Party establishment simply cheated. And faced with this, uh, Bernie Sanders capitulated. Um, and um, uh, with the excuse of lesser evilism uh, to support first Hillary Clinton, and now she, uh, he's uh, supporting uh, Joe Biden, which are not the representatives of working class in any shape, sense or form, but mainly another wing of the capitalist class. And this is uh, quite obvious to a lot of Americans, particularly today. Um, and so his whole movement, he fell flat on his face. And all the movement, uh, all those enthusiasm that uh, built up just collapsed. And... Uh, there's clearly no way uh, through the uh, Democratic Party. Um, and then we had, uh, I mentioned already partially the example of Syriza, where Varoufakis, he was on the left wing, you might say, of that uh, party. Well, maybe left wing is too strong a word, but in the government, he was kind of the left wing. And he, uh, and he wound up resigning over the question of uh, the, the memoranda. But his whole outlook was... Uh, not dissimilar from that of the le- uh, the leaders who supported the memorandum, um, which was, uh, if you remember, the actual um, the n- negotiations took place in the European Union, and the leaders of Syriza they had the idea basically could enter into the new- those negotiations and get a better deal than what they had already. Basically, they thought that the ca- the previous government had been uh, bad negotiators, uh, and by just uh, uh, being a bit more forceful negotiators, they will be able to secure a better deal. 70 minutes. And that, um, and this was proven to be completely false. Um, they faith was faced, were faced with even more hostility than the previous uh, round of negotiators. And the, and the deal that wound up signing was even worse than what has been there before. And they had completely underestimated the intransigence or the hostility that that uh, the capitalist class. And uh, they made lots of overtures. Uh, they opened, they get, stretched out a friendly hand to the, the capitalists in the world. I can't remember if it was Shipgas or uh, Varoufakis who wrote uh, articles in the Financial Times where they were promising that they were going to be very good managers of the Greek economy that they were going to make sure that everyone got their money back, pay back all their debts, that they in no way were going to threaten the capitalist system or the capitalist property, and so on. But none of this had made any impact at all. And even when they then had this massive refer- they had this massive campaign around the referendum, well, they probably didn't have plan for it to be so massive, but it wound up becoming massive because the Greek masses entered. Um, and so the big uh, no vote, which was delivered in that referendum. The, the, I, think, I can't remember the figures, but it was a big vote for rejecting the memorandum. But unsurprisingly, uh, this failed to convince uh, the European Union. But rather, when he came back after that campaign, they gave him an even worse deal than what he had had before. Why? Because they needed to punish him for uh, basically having attempted to mobilize the masses against the European Union. It would set a very bad precedent, basically, if you allow the working class to have a say over the memoranda. The European Union was in no way interested to have this Greek, Spanish or Italian working class at the negotiating table when they were negotiating the memoranda. And so the um, uh, Syriza 
faced with this intransigence, uh, they uh, capitulated. And it, it's it's just it's linked to the position that they fundamentally had, which is that there is no alternative to capitalism, and that they so if you accept the capitalist system, you have to accept uh, the capitalist cuts, the capitalist austerity, uh, and uh, this is what they wound up doing. It didn't take long; it took only a few months. Um, as another party that didn't even make it into government is Podemos, which has now joined with United Left. But it started off making very radical noises, uh, and in uh, periods it moved quite far to the left. But when the prospect opened up to be able to take part in government, the movement very quickly, the leaders very quickly shifted to the right and attempted to present themselves with a nice image uh, on various questions. One crucial one was the, uh, the question of the Catalan independence, where they uh, basically abandoned the Catalans, which was a condition for them working together with the uh, Socialist Party, which, uh, if you've read Alan's book, you know, accepted the uh, unity of uh, uh, Spain in its own very own compromise with uh, the Spanish reactionary ruling class. In general, the, uh, the national questions is a big weakness of the reformists who are completely incapable of understanding the uh, difference between the, um, the difference between the national aspirations of a place like Scotland or Catalonia and the reactionary nationalism of British imperialism. Uh, in, in fact, the Scottish Labour left, they insist that, the, uh, the, uh, that it's the same thing. So the nationalism is rising in Scotland and nationalism is rising in England and it's the same thing. So the right of the Scottish to self-determination is exactly the same thing as the um, uh, reactionary program of uh, Boris Johnson. So the national aspirations of the Scottish is the same as the Brexit and the right wing of the Conservative Party. Um, And they are completely incapable of understanding the difference between those two. Um, In general, uh, it has not been an easy period for the parties of the left, and superficially that might seem like uh, a contradiction. Here we have the biggest crisis of capitalism for um, 80 years, and all the parties that in some way or another promises uh, a different kind of system, uh, if only it's a small change, not a fundamental change, but they all in one way or another wound up in a crisis. I think even there was have even been some of the uh, uh, bourgeois commentators have uh, commented have commented on this fact. Uh, Eighty minutes. Kind of Ten right minutes left. Socialist or communist parties. Where is this right? How come the left is in a big crisis where, at the same time as capitalism is in crisis? Uh, but it's actually uh, uh, there is a link between the two, and um, it's be- precisely because under uh, in a crisis. Capitalism can no longer afford the reforms. And what is reformism without reforms? Uh, Trotsky wrote about this, commented on this as well. Viewed historically, reformism has lost completely its social host. host. Without reforms, there is no reformism. Without reforms, there is no reformism. Without prosperous capitalism, no reform. The The right reformist wing becomes anti-reformists in the sense that it helps the bourgeois directly or indirectly to smash the old conquests of the working class. And where was this not? uh, It was very obvious in the case of Greece. 
where uh, PASOK was completely destroyed by its support for the earlier memoranda. Well, there are, they are still around a little bit, but there's very, they hardly exist now. Uh, you can see it in the French Socialist Party, which has faced a similar fate, because they are doing the dirty work of the capitalist class. And in other countries, the process has uh, uh, begun, but hasn't uh, gone as far as in those two. But obviously, left reformists doesn't, don't actually have anything fundamentally different to offer. Uh, but rather, they um, they just uh, they just produce, present a slightly left wing version of the same program as the right reformers, maybe covered up with a few more left or even Marxist phrases. Um, but without being able to deliver any reforms, what is the point of reformists? It doesn't make any sense. And obviously, the workers will uh, try these uh, outfits out. They will attempt to uh, vote these parties into power. They will test them. They will test them. Uh, they will see um, see what happens when they get elected. Uh, will uh, whether that will solve the problems? And invariably, the answer is no. And obviously, that promote that provokes a certain um, disillusionment in the class and demoralization among a whole layer of activists as well and uh, confusion. Um, there was actually a good quote in Reform or Revolution by Marx, uh, where um, Marx explains the long drawn out nature of the uh, proletarian revolution, uh, how it goes through its peaks and its troughs, um, and uh, how it tests all the different tendencies in the labor movement, uh, but it's constantly learning and, and uh, learning in the process. Um, and our attitude towards this, these phenomena uh, I think it's in the, uh, what uh, Ted Grant wrote. I forgot the name of the text, but uh, um, the Marxist wing of the Labour Party will tirelessly explain the contradictory position of the left, their lack of foresight, their empirical reaction to events. At the same time, they will support, critically, every step forward taken in the mobilization of the workers, in the trade unions and in the party branches. And I think that's that remains our role today. This was uh, about the 1970s, it was right or 1960s actually. He was writing this. Um, but we must <laughs> we must continue to patiently explain, as Lenin said, how the programs uh, the, are impossible to carry out under capitalism, but also the need for Marxist theory. We need to understand the society which we live in. Also understand the lessons of the past. Because all these things are the things that they completely don't want to deal with. Because they, because if you understand those questions or you understand those things, it has a, it means you have to draw certain conclusions. And the only conclusion you can draw is that left is that reformism doesn't work. It cannot solve the problems of capitalism, and it cannot solve the, and therefore it cannot also not solve the problems of the working class. And all this um, is the task that we have before us. The working class consists of different layers. Some draw revolutionary conclusions much quicker than the others. At two minutes, Nicholas. And it's not a uniform process. First go one, then you have two workers, then three workers. Um, but it, uh, there is a small layer, a trickle for a period. And then suddenly you have a change in, in the situation. And there's a whole flood coming at once. And you can see the change in consciousness sometimes in opinion polls where, um, and you can, uh, for example, in the United States at the moment, where you have this massive shift uh, in, from people thinking socialism is a bad thing to socialism is a good thing. And in that big layer of people thinking that socialism is a good thing, there is a layer that thinks that communism is a good thing. Now, it's only 
but 5% out of 250 million is quite a lot of people. And so um, from our point of view, our goal is, yes, we have to patiently explain. Also because it's a method of, this is, this is the right approach to winning the mass, who are not yet drawn the revolutionary conclusions. But at the same time, our, our, our immediate task is to reach those young people and workers who have drawn those revolutionary conclusions and win them and organize them in the Marxist tendency. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Marxist Voice. You can subscribe to our podcast through SoundCloud, iTunes, or any major podcast provider, or visit our website at www.socialist.net. And if you're able to, please donate or subscribe online and help support us in the struggle for socialism.